Father in heaven, we thank you that you are here and you are with us. And Lord, we're fixing to dive into your word. Lord, speak. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's all inspired by God. As we open the pages of scripture, it's you speaking directly to us. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we magnify you, God. Be exalted in our teaching, in our edification, building up of the saints. Lord, let us leave here changed. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Everybody's had a blessed week. Everybody's had a good week. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study in First uh, John. Um, we're, looking, we're going to look at three verses. Sometimes we cover a whole chapter. Sometimes we cover a half a chapter. Sometimes we cover just a couple of verses. It just depends on, on, on the content. You know, we, we, we want to open it up. We want to break it down. We want to dive into the text and pull everything out of it we can so that we can grow in our faith. Because that's how the Word of God is. It's, it's meant to be studied. It's meant to be med- meditated on. And it's meant to help us grow as we study it. So three verses this morning. First John chapter 2, looking at verses 15 through 17. Let's read the text and see what the Scripture says. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray now, Lord, as we study it, that you open our hearts. To, to not love the things of this world, but to walk in the love of the Father. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. As we were worshiping the Lord and I was thinking about my text and I was singing the songs and I was lifting my hands, I couldn't help but to think that maybe there's somebody here this morning, you are really wrestled. You're in a fight. You're in a fight for your faith. The world is pulling you one way, but you know the right way is to go God's way. This message is for you. This message is for you. Walk in the love of the Father. The world has nothing for you. Okay? Walk in the love of the Father. The love, there's nothing in the love of the world. You're going to see that this morning as we study this text. There's nothing the world has to offer. It's all the Father's love. So the title of my message this morning is The Love of the Father and the Love of the World. In 1 John, there are 12 major contrasts in this book. What John is doing in this epistle is he's drawing a defining line between light and darkness, between truth and lies, between life and death. Two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1. Do you remember what we looked at in chapter 1? It was light versus darkness. Then last week, in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we looked at uh, loving God and obeying his commands versus not loving God and not obeying his commands. And this morning in the text, we see... The love of the Father and the love of the world. Or better yet, the love of the Father versus the love of the world. Which love do you walk in? Which love do you walk in? One of these loves is heavenly, one is earthly. One is spiritual, one is carnal. One is real, one is fake. One saves us, one damns us. The love of the Father 
you need to understand this, is unique and exclusive. And what I mean by that, it stands alone. No love compares with it. You can't even put the love of the Father with any type of love of this world in the same sentence. Because the love of the Father stands alone. The, love, the, the, um, the Father's love and the world's love have nothing in common. They're polar opposite. The love of the world from below is sensual, self-centered, and is driven by our appetite. The love of the Father, hallelujah, is a, from above. It's holy and it's perfect. And once you've experienced the love of the Father in its truest measure, you will never, ever want to go back to the love of the world because the love of the Father is that great, that magnificent, that awesome. If we can just get this into our brains, if we can just get this into our heart, if we can capture what the New Testament teaches about the love of the Father, I believe less people will backslide. I think less people will be tempted to go back into the world. I think, less, I think more people will be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ if they understand the love of the Father. The love of the Father is great. It's magnificent. And the love of the Father is for each and every one of you guys in here and for all people. This is what God wants people to experience. So let's take a look at it. Verse 15. In, in studying our three verses this morning, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the first thing I want you to notice, I'm going to break this verse in half. The first half of the verse says what? It's a, it's a command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. This is what God is saying to his people. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Period. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean, do not love the world? This, 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 this verse can be twisted, can be distorted, can be taken out of context, and, and other things can be said about it that are not true. What this phrase, do not love the world, does not mean, it does not mean we don't love creation. Because if we, if we can't love creation, I'm in big trouble. Because I like to hunt. I like to fish. I love the great outdoors. I love striper fishing on Lake Murray. I love deer hunting in the woods. I, I love creation. And we also, this is not telling us to not take care of the world. We should be good stewards of the earth that God has given us. We should take care of our environment. That's not what he's talking about here. And also, when you think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world. In the context of John 3.16, the word world means the people. Okay, Context defines um, a definition of a word. And this word here, do not love the world, it does not, I repeat, it does not mean we do not love people. We love all people. We've seen that over the past couple of weeks, especially when we were in 1 John, how we are commanded to love all people of all walks of life. So it, it does not mean the creation. It does not mean the people. So Pastor David, what does this word, world, mean in verse 15? This this, and, and he's going to define it here. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you up front. This word world in verse 15 is the sinful, dark world that we do not love. It's, it's the, uh, the sinful darkness, the rebellion of man, the things done in darkness. See, you and I, family, we do not love immorality. We do not love fornication. We do not love rebellion against God. We do not love idolatry. 
which is placing other things before the Lord. Those things, family, are, are, are sin, and they are the war that is within us. The war within us is battling against the darkness of this world. Those things, uh, immorality, fornication, rebellion, the, the, the things of the world, they are the enemy of our soul. They are the enemy of your soul. Sin wants to take our life and destroy it. Sin wants to take our life and separate us from God. Sin wants to keep you from experiencing the love of the Father. Okay? That's what stands between us and the love of the Father, is the sinful darkness of this world that, it, that entices us all. So what should our attitude be towards sin? What should our attitude be towards breaking God's commandments and breaking God's laws and this sin that so easily tries to get its claws into us? What should our attitude be? Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So we hate sin. Why do we hate sin? Because it's the enemy of our soul. It is the, it is the actions, the deeds, the violation of God's moral law that tempts us. And it separates us from the love of the Father. If it's going to separate me from the love of the Father, I don't want to have no business with it. And I don't like it. And I hate it. And it's my enemy. And I'm, it's, it's my enemy. And I'm its enemy. How am I sin's enemy? By preaching the gospel. By sharing the love of Christ. But, but we hate it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says, and the key, the key word in this one is flee. He says, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. That word flee means to take flight, to run. That tells me to go to shoe carnival, get the best pair of New Balance, and run as fast as I can from sin. Okay? We are to run from sin because it separates us from the love of the Father. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ, here's the key word, Depart from iniquity. Proverbs 8.13, the key word was hatred. 1 Corinthians 6.18, the, word, the key word was flee. 2 Timothy 2.19, the key word is depart. That word depart means to abstain, to withdraw yourself. See, sin entices us. It tells us it's a good thing, but we need to see it in truth for what it is. It's that which separates us from the love of the Father, and we're to abstain, we're to withdraw the scripture talks about repentance. We're to turn away from it, run from it, fight against it, get accountability, uh, pray fervently, confess our sins, and ask God to help us in our war against sin. The final one, talking about our attitude with sin, is Romans chapter 12, verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9 where uh, Paul says, Let love be genuine, and then he uses this word abhor. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That word abhor means to detest, dislike, to have a horror of. To have a horror of. Go look it up on Blue Letter Bible. That's what Blue Letter Bible says, that word means. To have a horror of. In other words, we're not scared of it, but we understand what it does. And when we see a brother or sister or we see ourselves being tempted, we need to be in horror of what it can do to our life. Family, looking at this passage, 
This passage is like you're going down the road and you see a sign that says warning. Big bright red sign that says warning. Road out ahead or danger ahead. This passage is, is to us like a, like a warning. And it's God's warning sign on the side of the road saying danger ahead if you follow down the path of this world. The sinful dark paths of this world. So you and I family. We're called to flee from darkness. We're called to flee from sin, flee from witchcraft, flee from cults, flee from, uh, run from new age practices. Unfortunately, many Christians uh, entertain darkness and they chalk it up as no big deal. And then they forget James 4.4. James 4.4 says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James says we're, we're, we're adulteresses. You see, our relationship with Christ, you being born again and trusting in Christ, is like a marriage relationship. You are married to Christ spiritually. He is your Lord and Savior. You are his child. And when you and I deliberately, willfully choose to rebel against him and go after sin... It's adultery. It's spiritual adultery. It's spiritual adultery. God went to great lengths to save you. He came to this world, took on flesh, lived a sinless, perfect life, and went to the cross. The most humiliating death that you can imagine. Jesus went to great lengths for our salvation. He paid the price. Now let's give our lives back to him in love and obedience and thankfulness for what he did for us at the cross. Not out of a legalistic way of thinking or way of life, but out of love, out of love for Christ, love for you, Lord Jesus. You did so much for me. I want to give my life back to you and pure and perfect obedience. So here's the reason why we don't love the world. Look at the second half of verse 15. The second half of verse 15, he says, if anyone loves the world, this is a very emphatic statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is maybe not in him? No. It says the love of the Father is not in him. That's a tough statement, family. What John is saying here, if you love the sinful darkness of this world, um, you do not know or possess the love of the Father. You cannot say that you possess the love of the Father and love sin, meaning you go after it, you live for it, it's your passion. If you truly know the love of the Father, you will love the things he loves, and you will hate the sin that wars against your soul. Again, we all struggle, we all have our battles with sin. But the difference is you and I are in the fight. You and I are in the battle, okay? We walk under grace, okay? This relationship with God is based on grace because he knows we're going to blow it. But we're in the fight. We're in the battle. It's like going down the road um, and aiming for a pothole versus accidentally hitting a pothole. We all accidentally hit potholes going down the, 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 the um, road of life, and we blow it and we sin but we don't aim for the potholes. We make it our aim in life 
to please, to please the Lord. So what we want to have, let's talk about the other part of this. We've talked about the, the love of the world, but here in verse 15, the very end of verse 15, he mentions the love of the Father. This is what we want. This is what you want, I hope. This is what I want. I don't want, I don't want to walk in religion or tradition or philosophies of man. I want to walk in the love and the grace of my heavenly Father. You see, the love of the Father is the polar opposite of the world. They have nothing in common. The love of the Father, unlike the love of this world, it stands alone. It's exclusive. The love of the Father is the highest love. There is no higher love than the love that comes down from heaven and specifically comes down from the right hand of the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the highest love known to man. It is the purest love. The purest love means it's untainted. It's, it's not um, tainted by sin or, or evil or darkness. It is the purest, most holy, most perfecting love that you and I can experience. Let's go after this love. Let's experience the love of Christ. Not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our lives and in our families and in our work. Let the love of the Father penetrate every area of your life. His love is perfect. It's heavenly and it's real. It's real. The love of the Father is real. And you and I get to experience the love of the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's walk in this love. Walking in the love of the Father. The two things that are being compared here. When we walk in the love of the Father, first off, it brings honor and glory to the Father when he sees his children walking in his love. When we tap into his love, it brings the Father great joy. And it brings you and I this love. It brings forgiveness. It brings hope. And it brings life to you and me. You've all heard the passage, the passage that we read at weddings, the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says this, um, verse 4 talks about ourselves, verse 5 talks about other people, and then verse 6 talks about the Father. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. These are signs. These are evidences of the love of God in our life. When we're patient with people, when we're kind, when we're not jealous, when we're content with what we have. You know, we don't brag. We don't make life about ourselves, but we make life about the Lord. And we're not arrogant, meaning we walk humbly. We walk humbly. We walk in humility. We consider other people more important than ourselves. And then verse 5 of chapter 13, he says, It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Um, so love, we look out for others. 
That's one of the greatest signs of humility is when we look out for others more important than ourselves. Who do we, who do we follow? Who, who, who modeled this for us? Jesus. Jesus spent his entire life placing his disciples before himself. He came to serve this world. And in Jesus' omniscience, in him being the eternal God, yes, he had you and I on his mind in this earthly life. He said, I'm going to do this three and a half years for Rick Hipkins. I'm going to do this three and a half years on this earth and live this sinless, perfect life for, for Brandon and for you and for me and for all of us. That is love. And then verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, talking about love, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. The love of God rejoices with the truth. What does John 14, 6 say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul said in Corinthians, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. This love is the real deal, and it's the truth that God wants you and I to walk in. So family, let's leave here today, and let's make a deep commitment. I'm going to walk in the love of the Father, and not the love of the world. Now, let's continue. Let's get to our next verse. <laughs> verse 16 Verse 16 gives you and I a definition of the love of the world. It's a commentary within the Bible of this phrase in the Bible. In verse 15, it talks about the love of the world. What does love of the world mean? Let's look at verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. Family, these three, these three things right here in verse 16, this is what the world pursues. This is what the world pursues, and we don't pursue. And, but if you and I are not on our guard, and we're not built up spiritually in the faith, the world will drag you down in one of these three areas. And, the, and he says they're called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Notice the first two in the verse start off with what, what word? Lust. Lust. What is lust? Lust is desire in our hearts followed by action. It's when we see something, we fantasize with something, we desire something, and it's to the point where we are, we, if given the opportunity, we will partake of that which is tempting us. But the first one there is the lust of the flesh. This is simply uh, the pursuit of immorality of sinful desires and actions. That's how the world pulls at you and, dra and tries to drag you back into its love. It's through immorality, through sinful desires and actions. The lust of the eyes. So here he's talking about the eyes. He's talking about covetousness. He's talking about a heart attitude that says, I want more. You know, that's when we look at, we live in a world that's driven by greed, that's driven by the desire to have things that are temporary. You see something you want and you stop at nothing to get it. This is uh, driven by carnality and it is greed and it is, it is self-centeredness at its focus, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. You face the temptation, I face the temptation and we gotta fight against it. We gotta fight against it knowing that we're united with Christ serving him, committed to him. So the flesh wars against us. 
The things that we see with our eyes war against us. And the third one there, uh, he says in verse 16, notice, he says, the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life. This is arrogance. This this is uh, being arrogant. This is life centered on possessions. You know, our life, family, I mean, God bless you if you have a big house and lots of money, lots of cars. There's nothing wrong with having those things in and of themselves, but don't let them be the center of your life, okay? Let Jesus be the center of your life. But the boastful part of life is when you and I define our life by how big my house is, how big my house is, or what kind of car you drive. You got all the bells and whistles. You know, it's when we define our life, when we define our worth and people's worth based on their possessions or how much money is in our checking account. You know what? Those things don't matter in the grand scheme of things. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to drive a nice car. I like to have a nice truck. I like to have a nice house, and I like to have some money put away for savings. But I don't let those things define myself. What defines me is Christ. You see, the world, the world pursues these things. The world living in darkness pursues the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And you and I, family, we're tempted. We are tempted, okay? We all face temptation, but we fight against it. We fight against it. And when we struggle in those areas of our life, man, we, we run to the Father. We run to our Heavenly Father and say, oh, Lord, please help me. Please give me victory in this area of my life. We find a brother or sister who will lovingly, gracefully hold us accountable. And we pursue the grips of the love of the world. We live in the boastful pride of life when we live lavishly, when we wastefully spend money, when we um, compete with others. And notice at the end of verse 16, none of this is from the Father. At the end of verse 16, it says, none of this is from the Father, but is from the world. The world says, get more, spend more, have more. Jesus says to us this morning, I am everything. And if you've got me, you've got everything in life that's needed. Okay? If you have him, you have everything. And everything else is just to add a blessing. Christ is everything. Now in verse 17, our our last verse that we're looking at this morning, John is going to give us an incentive. I like this. I like incentives. You like incentives? John's going to give us an incentive to pursue the love of the Father. He's going to give us reasons to pursue the Father. Benefits. You know there's benefits for serving Christ? There's benefits in serving the Lord. Okay? A blessed life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, being in a perfect relationship with Him, Him being our Heavenly Father, Jesus being our Lord and Savior. There is no greater life than the Christian life. And there's benefits to it. So let's look at the incentive that John gives you and I this morning to pursue the love of the Father. Verse 17 says, The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's cut this verse in half and take a look at it. First he says here, The world is passing away, and also its lust. The first half of verse 17. 
Basically what he's saying there is you, the audience who's reading this passage there in that early church here today, he's basically saying you will share the same fate as the object you pursue. Okay? You will share the same fate as the object you pursue. There is an end game. There is an end game. And what you prioritize in life will determine your outcome. You see, you control your actions. You control your decisions. And if you pursue the sinful passions of this world, you will perish. But if you pursue the love of the Father, you will live forever. That's huge. That is huge. That's what Christ came into this world. At the fall, death came in. And men began to die and continues to die because of the curse of sin. Jesus came to this world to die on the cross, bring us back into a right relationship with God, and show us the pathway to eternal life. I don't know about you, but I hate death. I did two funerals last week. I got two funerals this week, and it never gets easy. And it's not just a job. It's a ministry. But to see families hurting by people passing away, it never gets easy. It always gets difficult. But I know the one who's defeated death. And I know the one who inspired the scriptures that he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Yes, we, we, we come into this world. It's sinful. It's fallen. It's broken. But one day, God's going to restore it, and we're going to have eternal life. Um, now, let's get into the first half of verse 17. Um, it says, the world is passing away. And also, it's lust. You know, we, we live it like, again, like, as I said, we live in a fallen world. And when God and his word is ignored and sin is accepted as, is, and sin is accepted as a way of life, they go further and further down. And if you are not mindful of the times, Christians, the world will take you down. Sin is like a ball and chain. It will drag you down to the very bottom. Uh, several of you guys have went fishing with me out on Lake Murray. And I love to striper fish. I got all my setup on my boat, and we fish. And one time I was um, taking my brother-in-law and Amelia out fishing. And she's like, where's the fish? Where's the fish? And we, and we got out to the spot. And I said, we're going to catch some fish. And, I, and then we opened up the cooler. And you saw all the herrings swimming around. And Amelia was like, oh, there's the fish. There's the fish. I'm like, no, that's not the fish we're going after. That's the bait. But here's the deal. So Amelia's like, how do you do this? So I showed her. So we, we took a herring out, and we put a hook. He's got a nice little hole right here in his head. We put a hook in his nose. And if you're not, if you just throw it in the water, the herring will just swim around on top of the water. He'll just move around. So what we have to do is we have to put a one-ounce liter of weight. And as soon as I put that one-ounce liter of weight on the line, guess what that herring does? He has no choice in the matter. He shoots straight to the bottom of Lake Murray and hopefully comes back up with a striper. But that's what sin does. That's what sin does. It's like that ball on that fishing line, that lead weight. And once you go after the things of the world, that lead weight of sin will drag you straight down to the bottom. It will drag you down. If you follow sin and its temptations and its desires, um, it will take you down. It will take you down. 
It will wreck your life. You know, but for, but for some reason, we don't get it. Some, for some reason, it, it goes in one ear, and it, but it doesn't make it to the heart. And we find ourselves in life so many times as Christians being tempted by this world, falling into temptation, falling down to the, going down to the bottom, and being in a place of darkness. And we need to understand ahead of time that sin will drag us down. It may look enticing. It may look fun for a season. It will fulfill the desires of the flesh. But in the end, it will wreck your life. Not beyond redemption. Not beyond being forgiven. Not beyond being restored. But for the moment in the season, sin brings death. And we got to fight like nobody's business against it so that it doesn't take us down. The world is passing away. In other words, the world is sinking. And it says also it's lust. Well, creation doesn't lust. People do. So in the context of verse 17, the first half of the verse, not only seeing the world's passing away, but also those who follow after the, um, or walk in the love of the world will pass away. But look at the second half of verse 17. The second half of verse 17. Man, if you wrote down comparison and contrast and you studied, did a word study of First, of, of first John, you would be amazed. This entire book, I said there's 12 major contrasts. There's probably about 60 contrasts within the book. But this is one of them in verse 17. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the contrast, the opposite of that, second half of verse 17, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I have to ask a question because as we're studying this passage, why does John say the one who does the will of God lives forever? Why does he use that phrase, will of God? Shouldn't he just say he who loves the Father? Doesn't that sound better going with the context of the passage? Why, why does he say the will of God? Why does he need to say the love of the Father? And the reason is simply this. For John, loving God, obeying God, loving God and obeying God is the will of God. Loving God and obeying God is the will of God. You cannot separate love and obedience. Who you obey is who you really love, okay? You know, everybody, I love Jesus, I love God. And, I, and, and we should have a heart affection towards him, a, 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 a deep sense of spiritual love for him. But if that deep sense of spiritual love is authentic, uh, a life that endeavors to obey him will follow, will follow. You can't separate you know, our, our obedience is our report card. Not perfect. No one's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The mailman's not perfect. But there's this deep desire and endeavor in your life to say, Lord Jesus, not only do I love you, but I obey you. That's the essence of the Christian life. And that's the essence of walking in the Father's love. It's his great love. And family, in closing, you and I have the great, awesome, magnificent privilege to serve an awesome God who reigns above. 
Let's do it. Let's do it by walking in the love of the Father. By walking in the love of the Father and forsaking this sinful world. The philosophies, the magic, the witchcraft, the occults, sin. Let's say no to those things. And let's trust and obey and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's live out his word and his truth. And at the very end of verse 17, the will of God, when you love God and you obey God and you pursue God, what's the end result? You get to live forever. I think one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be blown away. Our jaws are going to drop. We're going to be in complete and utter amazement when we see the glory of heaven. You know, the scripture says, the Bible teaches three heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. We see up to the blue sky. The second heaven is the universe. It's endless in every direction. But the scripture talks about a place called the third heaven. Uh, Paul talks about in Corinthians. He says, I know a man of Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, was called up to the third heaven. John said in Revelation chapter 21, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven. There's a place called the third heaven. And one day when we get there, when we leave this life and we see the glory of heaven, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be jaw-droppingly amazing. But you and I get to experience a taste of that heaven today through the Holy Spirit and being united with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. But ultimately, the ultimate is, is when we step from time into eternity and we stand before Christ in all his glory and we want to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And walking in the love and grace of the Father is the pathway to that. Let this truth permeate everything. Your love for the Lord, your love for his word, how you deal with people in life, how you do your family um, business. Let the love of the Father reign in every area of your life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for these three verses that we've studied this morning. Lord, we, uh, we're all in a fight. And Lord, we pray and ask, Lord, that you give us victory as we pursue and endeavor to walk completely in the love of the Father and to resist the temptations of this world. Lord, let us be wholeheartedly committed to you and not walk in adultery, not being, believing and trusting in you, but in loving the things of this world. Let us walk in complete devotion to you, King Jesus. You are worthy, seated at the right hand of the Father with nail-pierced hands, a side and feet, in all your glory. Let us love you. Let us obey you. And let us walk in the great and awesome love of the Father. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this worship this morning. In your holy name I pray.